Hello and welcome to I Am Norman, a podcast about the great city of Norman, Oklahoma. Well, I'm originally a Normanite. I'm a Norman girl. I've always looked at Norman as just a fabulous place. I had a great childhood here. And I am a Norman girl. I mean, born and raised from day one, Norman, Oklahoma. I haven't lived anywhere as long as I've lived here. So I call Norman home now, and it's a, it's a great place to live. I'm Zach Logsdon, and I hope you'll join me each episode as we hear the stories of the amazing people, businesses, philanthropies, and upcoming events in Norman, and what makes our big little city so great. I love that in Norman, I am part of something that's so much bigger than me. I just think that the people here in Norman are extremely generous. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, nothing loves anything the way Norman loves Norman. The I Am Norman podcast is brought to you by Norman Heating, Air Conditioning, and Plumbing. When your home or business needs cold air or hot water, call Norman Heating, Air Conditioning, and Plumbing at 405-823-9641 or visit them online at normanair.com. Hello, Normanites, and welcome to another episode of the I Am Norman podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. Today, we have the senior minister for the First Christian Church of Norman, Reverend David Spain. David, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Start off, as we do with all of our guests, by telling us about yourself, your family, and your history with Norman, Oklahoma. Sure. Um, I uh, grew up in Texas, and uh, I grew up in a family of educators. My father taught American history at Baylor, and my mother taught uh, English at a a prep school uh, there in Waco, Texas. And uh, so those were my early days, and after some time at school away, first in Louisville, Kentucky, and then uh, at Fort Worth at the Divinity School at uh, TCU, uh, settled in the ministry there in Waco uh, up until uh, 2000, and uh, at that that time was uh, when I received the call to come to First Christian Church of Norman. So that's uh, that's what brought us to Norman. Uh, actually, almost 20 years ago now, May of uh, May of 2000. So 20 years you've been here, Norman. Neither neither you nor your wife, uh, as you indicated, are are, are from uh, from Norman or, or even Oklahoma originally. Uh, what is it about Norman that has made it a place you've wanted to stick around for so long? Yeah, actually, we both uh, grew up in in Texas. In fact, we were both Waco natives. Um, no, neither of us was looking to move when we came to Norman. I uh, was very uh, happy in the church where I was in uh, Waco, serving at Lakewood Christian Church in Waco, Texas, and had been there 11 years. But uh, so the call to, to come to Norman came out of the blue, and initially we weren't uh, inclined to accept, but we continued in the uh, in the interview process and made a visit up here in the in the fall of uh, 1999. And, that was a, really a, a transformative moment. Uh, the people and uh, the the city of Norman, uh, coincidentally, years ago, 
long time ago, early teen years, I had started following OU football. Hmm. So I was sort of a distant OU fan. Um, and so I thought it was just a little bit ironic uh, mm-hmm. about the possibility of coming to Norman. But but anyway, through that uh, long process of uh, interviews and conversations and discernment, uh, felt like it was uh, ended up being a good move uh, for us to, to come. And, and I would say the 20 years have verified that decision. We've very much enjoyed being uh, here in Norman, in particular at First Christian Church of Norman, but uh, have also enjoyed living in Norman. Um, it, it's a good college town, and since I grew up in a college atmosphere, a college home, mm-hmm. uh, and and with Pam growing up in Waco and, and having attended Baylor also, uh, you know, the, sort of the rhythms of college life, she uh, is an educator also. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, just just the atmosphere of a college town, all that a university brings to a town, um, and then you know its proximity to Oklahoma City, uh, you know, close enough but far enough, mm-hmm. uh, far enough to be its own separate community, but close enough to to be convenient if you want something that a larger city can provide. So. So we have found it to be uh, really just a very invigorating place to, to live um, and, and opportunities to serve uh, through the church. So, um, yeah, we've been very grateful for the opportunity to be here. So let's talk about the, the First Christian Church. Um, first of all, uh, the, the, the denomination is, is um, you know, a lot, of things, a lot of times people will say, uh, you'll, you'll mention the First Christian Church, and they'll say, oh, what, what denomination is that? Um, and, and you say disciples of Christ. And uh, it, it's not as, um, I guess, it's not as top of mind as, or, or uh, common of a term as you hear, like Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist. Uh, what what designates the the first Christian Church disciples of Christ as a denomination and the system of beliefs uh, from those other you know more common you know those Methodist even Pentecostal all all the, the other faiths out there what what designates uh, the disciples of Christ? Sure, um, we are uh, and that's right. I think that I think your perception is accurate that. Uh, uh, there are more household names, Methodist, Baptist, uh, Lutheran, Episcopal, uh, mm-hmm. Catholic, certainly. So, um, But the, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ is a mainline uh, Protestant denomination that we've been around pretty much uh, going west with the Western movement, uh, with this nation, with the founding of this nation. So I've been around since the early 1800s and, and uh probably stronger in terms of, of numbers of churches in the Midwest, uh, uh, but certainly a presence here uh, in central Oklahoma and throughout uh, the state of Oklahoma. Um, so uh, in we, uh, in distinctions, um, first I would say that uh, it's important to know that in, for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, we, we practice uh, what's called um, local governance, which means that the the local church has the power to decide what it how it how it is church, how it worships, how it how it serves. Um, uh, but we are also part of of a larger denomination called the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. So we have a regional church and a national church. And, uh, so we certainly support those manifestations of the church. But what would be distinctive, I suppose, uh, from some 
other churches would be, at least at First Christian Norman, and true of all Christian churches, is communion every Sunday, uh, in which all people are invited. You don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to be a member of the denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't even have to be Protestant. Uh, it is a it is an open table, and any and all who would want are welcome to receive communion. Um, so that we, uh, so in some ways, we other churches do that as well. But maybe their table is has is maybe not as open as perhaps the Christian church. Um, we baptized by immersion, uh, and so uh, that would make us like the Baptist church. So we're a little bit Baptist, we're a little <laughs> bit uh, Catholic, we're, you know, our worship style, uh, of course, it's going to vary from church to church, uh, because, again, because of local governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but we're uh, probably a little more formal in worship style, at least here at First Christian, uh, mm-hmm. with robes for ministers. Uh, follow uh, basically what's called a historic uh, pattern of Christian worship. So we have a pipe organ, stained glass. Um, you know, there's a way in which uh, the sanctuary has uh, an historic feel to it, and, and it was built in 1930. So, uh, so um, we're ecumenical, which of course means we. We have particular understandings of the Christian faith, but we also value working with other denominations and, and other religious traditions and faiths. And so uh, we see ourselves as partners in the community with other churches, with uh, mosques, synagogues, and so uh, ecumenical in spirit, and that's always been true. So um, it, it, we talk sometimes about a, a big tent for the Christian church, disciples of Christ, meaning that People will feel uh, a little bit, maybe if they're in a in a relationship where one grew up with one particular expression of faith and the other grew up with another expression of faith. But there's, it's enough like each of theirs that they can, you know, it's not a perfect match with what they grew up in, but it feels enough like what they grew up in and the, and the openness that they there's enough home here. So as a result, there's a lot of people who grew up from different traditions who yeah. worship here on Sunday. Um, that's probably more and more true in America today now, but uh, but it's been historically true for the for the Christian Church disciples of Christ. So you started out uh, as a Baptist minister. You went to to Baylor uh, and and were were working in the Baptist Church, but made the the switch at some point to the Disciples of Christ Christian Church. Uh, what about yeah. that faith uh, resonated with you over the Baptist Church, or really, I guess, over over any of the, the options you had out there? Sure. Um, so. Um very, very brief history, uh, but um, the the Baptist Church, uh, beginning in 1979, began to go through some very significant changes and departures from its history and its historic practice, um, and uh, that change uh, began at the top in the power of uh, positions to appoint trustees to various seminaries and, and state church organizations. Well, that shift began to move the Baptist church, the Southern Baptist church, in a much more, and and I always am a little uh, reluctant to use a label, but we'll just, for for the sake of this conversation, began to move the, the Southern Baptist church in a much more conservative and constrictive tradition. Gotcha. Of practice. 
not mm-hmm. tradition, but practice. Right. And so as a result, I began to feel that that was less and less a home. Mm-hmm. I did go to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky for one year. That's a Baptist seminary, uh, but transferred to the Divinity School at TCU, uh, Texas Christian University, which is a Disciples of Christ school, and began to really find a new home within within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in some ways, uh, affirming and really practicing some of the same tenets that, that even the Baptist Church holds, but really authentically holding to those traditions. And so found uh, found that freedom uh, that became less available in the Baptist Church, uh, found the freedom and the responsibility of individual believers and the uh, the local governance of, of the congregations, which were also historic Baptist tenets, uh, but really were authentically embodied in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And so it, it became clear that, that because of my understanding of Scripture and my sense about what it is to be church, my future was more in this denomination than in the Baptist Church. So it was a gradual decision, uh, but it was in some senses made fairly easy because of the way in which the Southern Baptist Convention and church began to continue to move in a direction that felt more exclusive. Yeah. Um, so. Okay. Okay. So I, I want to talk about the pandemic some. Uh, one of the primary reasons sure. I wanted to get you on on the the podcast is is to discuss because you know you you've been quoted in, in the news uh, around here uh, for your stance on on um, on on the stay at home order and 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 doing uh, online services versus in, in home. Uh, you know during so during the stay at home order, churches and and all large gatherings, in fact, weddings and, and so forth, were limited. Causing most churches to go online, as you have uh, for services, mm-hmm. or, or just halt them altogether. So many churchgoers have been clamoring to get back into the pews. Many expressing uh, some pretty, you know, uh, hardcore anger over not being able to, including threats of lawsuits and, and all of these things against local government, saying, you know, we have, you, know, you have to let us back into into church. That outcry resulted in the order being lifted early for churches, and and those in-person services have resumed um, as as of this recording. But you have stated that First Christian will continue to stay at home through at least the end of May. Uh, and talk, so, so my question to you: talk talk about that decision uh, and why you sure. and I assume your members aren't quite as adamant that in-person services resume. It's a good question. Early on in the in the pandemic, um, back in the middle of March, um, I made the decision to assemble a group of four doctors and also someone who works in public health to be uh, advisors to me to help me sort through, you know, the reams of data that and some of the data was not always consistent. And so these are these are five people who are living with the pandemic uh, for, again, as doctors, and they're in different fields, and then the public health official. So they became advisors, uh, and so I've relied heavily on their expertise and wisdom. Uh, they are all members of the church. Uh, they're also scientists, you know, doctors, and, and again, public health officials, and so they're dedicated to their profession, and they also love the church, and uh, that is, uh, and, and, and value the, the place of faith in, in, in a family's life, an individual's life. So I felt like that's the perfect combination. 
And so I have relied heavily on their wisdom and their expertise. I've been meeting with them uh, about every two weeks and then sometimes when I say meeting, Zoom meeting, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then also just emails periodically. Um, and and so their their advice, along with the um, advice of the both regional church leaders and the national church leaders, and then within the denomination, and then even going beyond that, the, just the general wisdom is the mistake to make is to open too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I've been willing to just say, simply say, you know, whenever we're looking back on this time, uh, you know, down the down the road, whenever that is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll be willing to to say, yeah, the mistake I made was I I, I waited too long. I was <laughs> too concerned about keeping the congregation safe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I can live with that mistake. Um, so, but I, obviously, I don't say that lightly because uh, this has been heartbreaking. Um, you know, we've missed the high holy days that all churches celebrate in this season with Palm Sunday and, and the Holy Week services and Easter. Uh, and then just beyond that in this church, our Youth Sunday, our, our Baptism Sunday, our Infant Dedication Sunday. I mean, these, you know, there's just one Sunday after another of wonderful, wonderful celebrations and times to be together. And we've missed all of that. Uh, and so, of course, that's heartbreaking. But it is, it, it's just not safe for us to be together at this point. Um, and and um, it, it would be, you know, you kind of, sometimes you have to decide what you can, what you can live with and what you can't live with. Yeah. And, and I just can't live with the idea that opening too soon might encourage someone to come who then might be infected and might be ill or even, you know, die from, die from it. I just, I just, that's a, that's a thought that, that is mortifying to me. Right. So, uh, that, that's how I've gotten to that decision. Um, you know, hasn't been made unilaterally and, and I've communicated that kind of it basically in two week intervals, uh, taking it two weeks at a time, mm-hmm. partly because this, uh, this virus is a, constantly changing itself. It just seems like every week there's a new, it shows some different set of teeth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so I feel like two weeks at a time is a, is a reasonable time frame from a, from a medical standpoint, but then also just psychologically, I think people can sort of take two weeks at a time and that makes sense. And then in another two weeks, we'll update it. So that's the approach I've taken. I certainly not claiming it's the right or the best one, but uh, but it's been helpful to have uh, that medical team and the public health uh, person advise. Now there are, are plenty of people that, that disagree with that approach. But plenty of you know ministers uh, around town, around the the state, sure. around the nation that that have said no. We we got to get back in the pews. We got to get back into our in person services. Why do you feel like those in person gatherings are so important to so many people? I mean, technology allows us to quote attend from from home, and there's no arguing that that's not a safer option during something like this. Why is sure. that? Why do you feel that's not enough for some of these people? Well, I I absolutely defend every local congregation's 
decision-making process. I mean, I, I affirm that whatever their decision process is for their local congregation, I, I believe they have the, the right to do that. So I certainly don't. I, I, I trust that whatever they, whatever decision they make is, you know, they're trying to do as informed a decision as they can. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have issues with other churches that, that open uh, in terms of their right to, to make that determination. Um, you know, Christianity at least is, is what we call an incarnational faith. I mean, the root of the root of Christianity is that it is, uh, it is a, a religion that is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So to, to quote, you know, from John's gospel. So, Christianity is incarnational. It's an in the flesh, in person, face to face experience. So, uh, so I recognize that, and um, and I think that part of what people are missing is simply that that incarnational experience of seeing another human being, of face to face, of shaking a hand, of of passing communion from one hand to the next. You know, as we share in communion. I mean, I, and that's incredibly valuable. I, I don't think there's any substitute. Take it out of, take it out of religious uh, context for a second. I don't think there's any substitute for an in-person conversation. Doesn't mean other ways of communicating are invaluable. I mean, if, if anything, we've learned they can be very valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's sure. one of the takeaways from this experience is that uh, I never, if you had asked me, Ten weeks ago, would I be having a, a Zoom meeting? Would I be hosting Zoom meetings? You know, would I be doing Zoom Sunday school? Uh, I would have laughed in your face and yeah. said, "I'll never do that." Well, that's all I do now. Um, and so, uh, but so I'm and I'm very thankful for that because that has allowed at least a touch point, if you will. Touch point's probably the wrong word to use there, but a, a connection point that otherwise we wouldn't, you know, have been able to do. But none of that replaces the just being there, being present. Um, and so I understand that, and I feel that deeply. Um, and it is, and it's a strange, it's a very strange experience to stand in a pulpit on Sunday morning and look at a camera <laughs> uh, and and look at empty pews. Um, I mean, I feel I feel that loss, and I feel it deeply. But I but I get over that quickly because while I'm looking in the camera, I'm imagining families being together at home, and and I'm hoping that they feel some connection there. Um, and so I get I get the loss. I get I get the I I get some of the hostility. I'm not sure I understand all of it, frankly. But but I I get why people can go there. Um, but uh, but I think that part of what the church's responsibility is is to try to consider what the greatest possible good is for the greatest number. Yeah. And at this point, my what I've been informed and what I've done on my own reading suggests that yes, it's best to continue to live stream rather than risk um, people coming together. Uh, but again, I. I defend every congregation's right to make that decision for themselves. 
so it stands to reason that you're you're as um, you're as excited and to, to get people back into church uh, as, as anyone. You want that to happen as much as anybody. Um, and you've stated. Correct me if I if my date is incorrect. The last I read, I feel like you said uh, that that you're you're keeping people at home at least through the end of May. Um, when that time comes, uh, you kind of mentioned your 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 uh, I guess committee of people that are helping make that decision. Mm-hmm. Is there any other data that you'll be used that you you help you make the determination to say, all right, June one, we're good to go? Uh, how, how will that decision be made? Yeah. So uh, the first the first decision will will or the first consideration, I'm sorry, will be through the my conversation with. Uh, my colleagues in ministry here, the other ministers here at the church, as well, and the this what I call the medical advisory group. So, so that'll be that'll be the start of it. Uh, at that point, when we say, okay, we feel that now is a reasonable time. I mean, I think you have to accept that there's not a perfect time, right? Um, until such time as there's either a, a an accessible treatment or b an accessible vaccine. Right. So at some point you you say okay, we'll based on solid data and medical advice and safest practices we'll do this. So so at that point of course then what will happen is a series of, of decisions that will be will be made about how church happens. Uh, some of those decisions, you know, have already been made, for example, uh, in this tradition on Sunday mornings in worship, offering plates are passed, communion trays and bread trays are passed. Mm-hmm. Well, we won't be doing that. You know, we'll be coming, they'll be available, but people will come forward. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we won't be <laughs> we won't be putting out coffee for people to gather around the <laughs> coffee pot. Okay. Uh, you know, greeters greeters will not shake hands. In fact, the greeters might hand out a face mask, and um, and we'll open every other pew. Um, and uh, while while people who while a family who lives under one roof can sit together, it may be, for example, in my own family, I have another. Part of my family is a member of this church, but they're not living in the same house that I live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so while that family could sit together and I could sit with my spouse, um, we would not sit together. We would observe six feet of difference and so, uh, distance. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to look drastically different. And those are just, just some of the surface uh, realities that I think, again, we as a community of faith have as a responsibility in taking care of our of our church right. members. Um, so it's going to be a different animal, without a doubt. It is going to look so different on Sunday morning. And, and of course, part of what's difficult is we just don't know how long it's going to need to be that way. And, and part of why uh, the medical advisory team and, and part of why I felt it was prudent to wait through the end of May is to see if, in fact, the opening up of, of various businesses and restaurants, et cetera, if that will – if people, how people will respond to that and if, if in fact, another increase in COVID-19 uh, – infections occurs. 
So if we see an increase, then that may, in fact, mean that the church would decide, well, we it's really continuing not to be safe for us to be open. So, so, you know, waiting to the end of May gives us a little bit of time to gather some data on seeing if there's a spike. Uh, If there isn't, uh, if it continues to flatten or actually decrease, then yeah, we'll look, we'll look seriously at the possibility of, of reopening and we'll do this in stages. You know, the first thing we'll do is open for worship and then we'll look at and probably see how that goes for a month or so. And then maybe we'll look at opening up for um, Sunday school classes and other groups that meet here in the church. And you know, we want to do this carefully, deliberately, and in, in, in as responsible a way as we can. In my own church experience, you know, you 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 after church services end, you 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 know, everybody files out. We file right past the the minister. You shake hands and you walk out the door. It, it's going to be very strange, I would imagine, uh, not having you know, not not shaking hands with the greeter as you walk in, but sure, surely not shaking hands with the uh, with the minister on your way out the door. You you, uh, you, you think you are you going to stand behind a, a piece of tape and wave to people as they walk out? Have you have you thought about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, I, some of the details I, I have not figured out. Uh, okay. th- that example is a good one because I, I have actually thought about that one. Um, and and I think that part of what you do is you don't stand where you used to stand. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think maybe you just you just you do that differently. You know, one of the things that's true about this is. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, um, you are having to rethink everything. We all are having to rethink everything. Right. Uh, I mean, there's no part of life that isn't filtered through COVID-19 now and right. what, what safe practices are. So, uh, so from, you know, wiping down grocery sacks that the yeah. delivery person has delivered, you know, to your home and, and, or, or for example, when I go to the store, I go gloved and masked, and sure. and and I don't even use the store's uh, baskets. I I take my own, you know, my own. Uh, so, you know, just everything. So I think that one of the ways you deal with that example of you know shaking hands, of course, is uh, simply I just don't. I won't stand where I normally stand. Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, yeah, but but some of these details, I think. Uh, uh, we'll try to we'll try to think of everything, and of course, inevitably, we humans never think of everything. <laughs> sure. And uh, and so we'll probably learn as we go. Um, but I think this is a congregation that is is respectful of the realities and appreciative uh, of the of the precautions that we're taking. Yeah. Um, but then you just, you know, you go into an environment where you've been used to shaking hands, as you say, or, you know, some people hugging each other. And uh-huh. and, and to have to think about not doing that, it will, it will certainly be a challenge, without a doubt. 
My next question, uh, you know, it, it, it's a it's a difficult question to, to ask. I, I'm sure it's a question you have answered uh, in, in similar situations many times in the past. So, so it, probably not nearly as difficult for you to answer as it is for me to ask. But when something tragic strikes, like like a terrorist attack, like uh, a, a destructive natural disaster, or a, a global pandemic, uh, the question of where is God in this inevitably comes up. And that is something you and thousands of other ministers have to address. Hundreds of thousands of people are dying and it, it, to no fault of their own. And, and so I pose that question to you now. Where, where do you find God in all of this? Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's in some senses the question that has, that has been a vexation for anyone um, who has ever affirmed uh, that God is. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do we do about um, what do we do about situations? How do we think about God uh, in situations like this? Um, and I mean, it, it was a it's a vexation for the biblical story itself. Uh, you know, the Book of Job is dedicated to, in, in some sense, is dedicated to this question that when. When something happens, as you said, through no fault of one's own, how do we sense the presence of God? So, so I, it's a fair question. Um, it's an impossible question to answer completely. Um, and, and I think that's, in some ways, I think that's important to to be honest about. Is to say, I don't, I don't have a response that is airtight. And that will say, "Oh, of course, well, that makes sense, <laughs> sure, uh, okay, uh yeah, I, I mean, I think you know when when somebody does something malicious to somebody else, you know, when there's acts of violence or whatever, um in some ways, we can say, well, that's that's human freedom, human choice and mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things that God gets blamed for that I think are of uh, quite frankly human choices um, but I would not put this and that in that category um, uh, so um I don't in a lot of ways i can i can I'm more comfortable saying what I don't believe about this than what I do believe about this okay. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that uh, malignant cancer cells, I don't believe that, um, you know, suffering, what we'll call innocent suffering, let's say, again, something that that is not brought about by one's own doing, and Mm -hmm. I don't believe that pandemics are are the intentional will of God. I do not believe that God is trying to teach us a lesson through suffering. Um, so I don't, I don't believe that God made a decision to send a pandemic. Um, so, so I would, I think sometimes people will say something like, um, well, there's a reason for this and, and I'm never quite sure what someone means when they say that. Um, I don't know that everything can be explained. I don't know that everything has a reason in terms of intentionality. Uh, so uh, admitting, admitting what we don't know and what's 
perhaps impossible to answer. Um, it, it does at least seem for me to be helpful to say, I don't believe this is an intentional expression of the will of God. Um, that doesn't solve uh, another question, though, which is, well, then, you know, where is God in this? Well, um, I, for me, um, God is to be found in the men and women, and I think we see them every day, who are at, at great personal risk administering care, whether it's doctors or nurses or, you know, caretakers in, in, you know, nursing care facilities, just endless, you know, numbers of people who are, some of them have, have paid the ultimate sacrifice for their sure. care. Yeah. Uh, you know, the expression, and I think that God is in, um, I think God is in the researchers who are trying to find a cure, trying to find healing, trying to find a way to, to, either heal from it or to prevent it, you know, through, so through vaccine, through research. I think, I think God is in those who um, maybe make unpopular decisions, but are, but are nonetheless saying, I believe this for the best interest of the most. And, and I don't say that lightly. I know that's a complex decision. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I feel for people who lead cities or towns or nations or, you know, states, uh, you know, large entities, because there's absolutely no decision that, <laughs> that you'll get universal agreement. So, <laughs> absolutely. We've seen so plenty I, of that. I, yeah, we have. I, I don't think I don't think it's helpful. While I understand that one can be passionate about it, and and you know, if, if you are worried about where your next meal is coming from, if you're worried about uh, having to make a decision about a food on the table or care for a sick child, uh, that, that's that's horrifying. That's that, and I so I get the I get the the, the, deep, the deep desire to be back at work. I I get that. Um, so you have to balance that with just looking beyond individual need to, or the notion of individual liberty uh, versus common good, and, and those are difficult decisions. So I think that I think that for me, God is found in those people who are working, you know, reasonably, compassionately, and uh, in, in sometimes in the face of terrible criticism. Uh, and those who are risking their lives to, um, to to care for those who are ill, um, I have said before that this pandemic is is apocalyptic, and and it's important to define the words we use, especially religious words. Mm-hmm. And uh, and apocalyptic just means revealing. Uh, well, this pandemic has revealed some absolutely stunningly wonderful aspects to humanity. It's also revealed some pretty ugly things. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for me, my sense of the presence of God is that God is one who is, who is willful for healing, for compassion, uh, for well-being, um, 
But I know when I say that, that doesn't answer every question. Sure. So, uh, Fred Rogers once said, and I think he was very, very wise, and, you know, he was a Presbyterian minister, and, and he was talking to children about when difficult things happen, when tragedies happen. And one of the things he said that his mother told him was, when you see something scary on the news, look for the helpers. Look for the people who are helping. But for me, God is there in the people who are who are helping. Absolutely. But I don't know. But I recognize that that doesn't answer maybe the ultimate question. Um, so, as a person of faith, I try to stay open to what that to what we can learn through this. Yeah. That's uh, that's some great perspective, and I appreciate uh, your op- openness and honesty uh, about that topic. Um, I know it's it's not always the easiest thing to discuss, so I, I, I again I, I thank you for that. Um, Sure. Some 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 more. Uh, you know, we we got pretty deep there for a minute. So so uh, to before I let you off the podcast, I, I you know kind of switch gears uh, a little more lightheartedness to 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 end things and learn a little bit more about you. Um, when isn't uh, in these uh, are questions I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and uh, I'm interested to hear your your perspective on these. Um, we take so many things for granted, and uh, I know that I took many, many things for granted. Things that I never, it never crossed my mind would be would be uh, things that would be taken away from me. Um, and uh, I get some great answers on this. Everything from from haircuts to uh, to pedicures <laughs> to uh, to shaking hands and hugging and all of these things. When this is all said and done, tell me something that you'll never take for granted again. Yeah, that that's. Uh... That's one of the takeaways that I hope will come from this experience is a heightened awareness of of aspects of life that we had not noticed before. Um, so I notice families out riding bicycles, and I notice people sitting we live in a cul-de-sac there are, there are people who gather in a cul-de-sac maintaining social distancing and sitting and talking mm-hmm. um i mean some of the some of the things that that faith would identify as what might be called sabbath which is simply stopping the the frenzied life that we sometimes lead and listening to the birds and watching the watching the clouds and, and engaging a neighbor and having a deeper conversation. I, I hope we continue to do that. Um, I hope, well, the other big takeaway that, that I would hope would be that people, that, that this pandemic has taught us that we really are connected. Um, and, and I think that, you know, people wanting to be back together, for example, from the earlier question about wanting to be back together in church, is a recognition that, by golly, we are connected. Mm-hmm. And, and that connectivity matters, and, and how we are connected with one another matters. So I hope that, that people – we're living in a time that is somewhat polarized, and, and I think those are choices that people make. And so I hope that, that the pandemic will remind us that, we really are connected. And the, yes, there are genuine differences in philosophies and perspectives and ideologies, but bottom line is this is the human race and we're connected to the 
to the creation and mm-hmm. and all of those aspects. So I hope that a greater sense of connectivity, uh, maybe a little more kindness, <laughs> would would event you know would events from that because one of the things we've seen is that we're actually all vulnerable to this. Right. Uh, you know. You know, early on in the narrative, it seemed like, well, people my age and older, they're the most vulnerable. And then, and then, you know, when a 30-year-old who's a health trainer dies, who's in great condition, you go, oh my gosh. And then, well, maybe children aren't as vulnerable. Well, now we're learning maybe children are vulnerable to some horrific manifestations. Of right. So, right. you know, so I'm, I'm hoping that we can take away from that a deeper sense of our shared humanity. Um, that would be a wonderful takeaway. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Um, so when, when, when you can stop, you know, uh, being distant from one another, when you can finally go out and go to your favorite, uh, your favorite restaurant here in Norman, um, and, and go inside and sit within, you know, a few feet of other people, uh, where is that favorite spot that you like to go eat? And, uh, what do you like to get when you go there? Oh, oh gosh. Um, well, there's so many wonderful places to I know. eat in Norman. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, well, uh, we have church members here who own Gabarinos, and okay. uh, so, uh, and then uh, church member who owns um, uh, the restaurant on uh, Main Street. Are you talking about Scratch? Is that? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, I mean, yeah, obviously. I think of those first because I recognize how vulnerable they're feeling. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I worry about them. Yeah. Um, and so, um, oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Most of them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's one thing Norman, uh, everybody seems to agree on is Norman has a great, uh, some great restaurants out there. Um, everybody has, has their, their favorites, but everybody also has trouble deciding on one or two or three to, uh, to mention because, because we have so many great places to eat here. Uh, really, really good food. Uh, so, uh, we'll, we'll end on, we'll end on this one. Uh, let me, uh, let me ask you, tell me, uh, tell me one thing, something or someone that right now you're extremely grateful for. Uh, well, so let me, uh, one other thought popped into my mind. Okay. Um, and that was that, um, I, I, I will be excited to go sit at a baseball game. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And I and I know that uh, I know that, and, and in many ways that's that's trivial. I I get that, but but sports is so woven deeply into the fabric of our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you live in Norman, Oklahoma, you know, <laughs> certainly is yeah. Uh, and I am so glad I do not have to be the one to make the decision about whether oh, fans man. get to go to fall football games or not. I mean, that's just. I can't imagine that one, but uh, I'm sympathetic to 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 the pressures they're they're facing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, oh my gosh, you know, always your family. Mm-hmm. Um, you you just you just uh, you're so grateful for your family um, and and the ways in which they have responded. Um, certainly. Uh, my wife, uh, because of being married to a minister, has enough challenges, um, <laughs> and then and then going going through this, where now we don't share Sunday morning. I'm here, and and she's at home, and 
Mm-hmm. So you know, just, just, just the recognition that you know that she has that this is a this is a challenging time, yeah. and uh, and and it is. So, but you know, you just appreciate what your children are going through and and how they're trying to be very attentive to their children and the struggles they face of going through educating their children at home and uh, which so many families are going through and sure. the challenge of that. So I, I, I think in, the bottom line for me is I start thinking about all those places of gratitude and it's, it's never ending. I'm so grateful for the crew that comes in here to live stream. I mean, they're mm-hmm. doing this all volunteer and they do it because they love the church and they want people to feel connected. Uh, and so they volunteer their Sunday mornings and, mm-hmm. and I just, it's just sort of a parade of gratitude that I'm experiencing now. Uh, again, you know, think about, as we mentioned earlier, the health professionals and, and all mm-hmm. that they're doing. Yeah. No. Now, people, we're 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 under stress, you know, as a nation, and certainly some people are under way more stress than than I am. I mean, right. Yeah. So, so, uh, and I will be, but I will never to to maybe answer your question most poignantly. I will never f- take for granted the importance ever, and I think I I didn't take it for granted, but I appreciate it even more deeply now. Is the importance of being. Uh, by someone's bedside at the hospital when they're oh, man. because of course, yeah. we haven't been we haven't been able to do that and to be in the presence of someone when they've lost uh, when they've lost someone yeah. um, you know should... right now we're doing that by phone and we're doing that as as best we can yeah. that is not like being there so I will I will I see how important that is and I think again I think I always did but I feel it even more deeply right now. right. For sure. Um, so if somebody is, is interested in learning more about First Christian Church or if somebody's interested in watching the live stream on Sunday mornings, how, you know, share that information, your, your website, uh, how to contact you, how to, how to watch online, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, you can simply go to the First Christian Church of Norman uh, website, and there should be prompts that could, uh, that could uh, get you to the worship service. You can also just YouTube. If you have a smart TV, you can just you know YouTube First Christian Church of Norman. Okay. And uh, you can watch it that way. Uh, so it's also available on Facebook. Great. Uh, and then, um, uh, so I think if you go to the website, that should that should get you the basic information. But uh, the First Christian Church. I mean, do you want like the phone number or something uh, like that? whatever whatever you want to share? If you want to, you know, email address or phone number or yes. uh, anything okay. like that. Okay, uh, all the ministers here are accessible by their first name. So, if, for example, it would be david at fccnorman.org. Uh, and uh, right now our building is locked, uh, but we we do answer the door. You know, I mean, <laughs> gotcha. if somebody comes to the door, you <laughs> okay. phone or knock on the door, you know. Uh, again, just practicing safe distance for, for everybody's sake. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I've, feel is important is is we've had staff here the entire time we never closed the church yeah. uh and so we've had people here so we are accessible and um and the phone is uh, 329-2192 and and we are accessible and okay. uh so uh yeah uh emails uh uh, you know, I've even written a few letters. Shocking! Wow, uh, to write a letter, go, go yeah, put school. a stamp on it. 
<laughs> I totally, yeah. I uh, and uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. Perfect. So we, you know. Lots, lots of ways to be available. Perfect, Appreciate perfect. Uh, well, if, to all my listeners, if you uh, if you'd like to follow this podcast uh, on social media, you can do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Uh, the address is I am Norman pod uh david spain thank you so much for being on the podcast today i really really appreciate your time and your insight well thank you for having me i appreciate the opportunity to talk with you thanks for everybody for listening uh, stay tuned for many more episodes to come the i am norman podcast is brought to you by the hall at the railhouse Norman's premier event space in the heart of downtown. When all of this is said and done and life gets back to normal, the one thing we'll all be looking to do is celebrate with our friends and families. Weddings, receptions, corporate events, luncheons, banquets, proms, parties, and more. If you're looking for a place to celebrate life, we hope you'll choose the Hall at the Railhouse. For more information, please visit therailhousenorman.com or call 405-778-00. Zero three. I Am Norman is sponsored in part by Old Hat Creative. Old Hat is a strategic marketing and branding firm located right here in downtown Norman. From websites, corporate identity, graphic design, video production, and more, Old Hat can help any organization achieve their marketing goals. For more information, visit oldhatcreative.com or email info at oldhatcreative.com. Learn to love the flesh and nothing more. Oh, I don't know where you've gone. You used to be the heart of this town. Wasted all your tears on someone else.